0: When you think of careers that make a difference, what comes to mind? Social workers, teachers, maybe school counselors or something in the nonprofit sector? Whether or not you read the title of this episode, I bet that of those careers that came to mind, a doctor was one of them, wasn't it? And what about those people in these careers? Who are they and what makes them so special? Well, if you're not one of them, we often seem inclined to believe they are an exceptional breed of human. Like they possess something we never possessed, something that allowed them to be such benevolent people and to do so much good while we are somehow less capable of making the world a better place. But have we ever asked what actual impact these careers make? What is the impact of a doctor? Or how many lives does a doctor save? Well, stick around to the end of this episode, and I hope to show you a few things. First, I'll show you why a doctor saves less lives than you might have thought, how this is actually really good news, and why you should feel incredibly empowered to hear it. And second, if you did not go into a helping profession yourself, and because of this you feel maybe less capable of impacting change in the world, I promise to show you why that's just not true. And I'll explain why you and anybody living in a developed country today have without question the ability to save many times as many lives and impact many times as much positive change in the world throughout your lifetime as any doctor. You only have to make the choice to do so. But before we get there, let's explore a question that we should have asked a long time ago. How many lives does a doctor save? Welcome to the Impactivism podcast, where we explore how each of us as individuals can get better at doing good. I'm your host, Logan Sullivan, and this is episode number five. Greg Lewis asked this question. He was a a doctor in the UK that was profiled by Will McCaskill in his book, Doing Good Better. Now, Greg graduated from Cambridge Medical School, and he was motivated to get through this process through through all of medical school, by knowing that he was doing something that would truly help people, that would really make a difference. And he even wrote about that in his application. After he graduated and he started to work, uh, practice medicine, he started to dig a little bit deeper into this question. So at first thought, when we ask how many lives a doctor will save throughout their career, you know, we're inclined to add up the total number of Accurate diagnoses made of effective treatments provided of operations completed. And there's our number, right? So to get this number for the average doctor in America, and I think Greg looked at this in America because that's where the data was available and thought it would be pretty applicable to the UK. We look at the total number of doctors and the total added value of the healthcare system uh, that the total added value of medicine to that population, to the American population, and then we divide this by the total residents, right? So, in America, we know that there are about 880,000 doctors, and at the best estimate that Greg could find, we believe that medicine collectively in America is responsible for adding an average of 7 quality adjusted life years to each citizen's life. Equality is the metric used by the U.S. government and its ministries. It's used by the U.N. and pretty much every major policy-making entity in the world to try to quantify what's otherwise really challenging to quantify when it comes to measuring what helps prevent death and increase quality and duration of life. That's much more complicated than that, but we can get into that at some point. But I think it's interesting because it adds this quantity metric to the things that we struggle to quantify. So when we're thinking of doing good, we often look at the act of doing good in general as the end goal. But when we can more easily quantify the amount of good we're doing, then we can start to look at ways that we can do the most good instead of just doing... Some good, you know, and often for the same with the same amount of effort and energy, if we put you know that benevolent energy towards doing something more effective that achieves a larger quantity of impact, we can sometimes do a hundred times as much as otherwise. And by the end of this uh, episode, I hope you'll believe me there. And I talk about that in a lot of other episodes, so sorry if that's repetitive. So, without going into too much detail here, in brief. One quality or one one quality one quality quality adjusted life year equates to an additional year added to a person's life in full health. So this also translates into saying, you know, ten additional years at ten percent health, or two additional years at fifty percent health. And you get that, you get what I'm saying. But of course, that's really hard to quantify. But in another episode, I can break down the rationale behind it and a, a little bit more about how it works. So. With 880,000 doctors in America, the best estimate that we can find suggests that the healthcare system in total adds 2.2 billion quality adjusted life years to the total American population. And when we divide that by the number of residents, this equates to about seven quality or qualities per year, as we said. So the existence of the current healthcare system in America adds seven additional years to each resident's life on average at 100% health, or that could mean adds 14 years at 50% health on average. And this is compared to the counterfactual world in which no healthcare system existed. So from this, we could very simplistically ignore how massive and complicated the healthcare system is and how many different people in different careers contribute to this, you know, the researchers and the nurses and uh, hospital administration, and that list goes on and on and on. We could ignore that and credit all those 2.2 billion qualities to the doctors. And with this, we could estimate that of those 880,000 doctors in America, each is then responsible for 2,500 qualies throughout their career. And so if if we're asking how many lives a doctor saves, we then ask how many qualities actually equate to saving a life. <laughs> Maybe I'll... Okay, yeah, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to take this opportunity to express my, I don't know, aversion or annoyance with the term, save a life, in quotes. You know... I, Though it definitely, it's it feels like it's really a common thing to say. And when talking about improving the world and doing good and anything philanthropic, it definitely seems to be emotionally charged, probably in a positive way, or, or at least for some. But really, all lives are finite. We're all going to die one day. None of us can, none of our lives can be saved, really, right? And when we say save a life, this could mean extending a life for a day, it could mean extending a life for a hundred years, I could you know, I could rescue you from a burning building tonight and, you know, that, that would be effectively saving your life by anybody's standards and you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So, you know, alternatively, you could donate $3,500 to the Against Malaria Foundation and givewell.org is an independent evaluator that believes that $3,500 statistically speaking will save one life if donated to the Against Malaria Foundation. And I talk about them in other episodes. So there's a lot more details, but I encourage you to look them up as well. And this would provide enough bed nets to enough children in highly vulnerable places to prevent one child from dying of malaria. And this means saving a life. But this could mean that the child lives another year or it could mean that the child lives hundred years, right? We don't really know. Anyway, I had to say that real quick. Okay, to get back on track, uh, so where were we? How many how many qualies equate to saving a life? That was the question, and and how many lives would would one doctor be saving, you know, by adding an additional two thousand five hundred qualies to the the American population? So I'm not positive of the rationale behind this number, but in economics and in healthcare and most you know pretty much anywhere that uses qualies the the most common figure worldwide used in policy making estimates and in in business and everything else is uh, suggests that on average 36.5 qualities quality adjusted life years equates to saving a life <laughs> for whatever reason that's the number they go with so for all calculations for all purposes 36.5 additional years of a life at health, that is technically speaking, saving a life. So that means that we could, we could say that each doctor is then, you know, responsible for saving 70 lives, right? Which that would mean that 2,500 qualities divided by 36.5. So this is very intuitive. This is a, you know, very, uh, automatic interpretation. This would make a lot of sense. And it seems to seems to hold true if we don't think about it very much or if, at first glance, right? So if you want to do good in the world and you're considering going to medical school, it would be pretty easy to come to the conclusion that by doing so and working as a doctor throughout your career, that you'd be saving 70 lives. And what that means is that 70 more people would have died 36 years earlier than otherwise if you decided not to go to medical school and take that path but I have some very good news for those who you know might have one day considered going to medical school and decided not to and maybe some bad news for the doctors out there but this calculation is very wrong so let's explore why Consider the question of what would have happened in a counterfactual world had any given doctor never been born or not decided to go to medical school. That's when the calculation gets a bit more complex and yields something much closer to accurate. Though, of course, all of this is pretty, it, it, it can't be perfectly accurate, but we, we bring it down to the point where at least it's, it's something to, to use and to apply and to employ as a thought tool. So in this case, when trying to understand this equation from the perspective of how we make personal decisions that help us maximize our impact, and we shouldn't be interested at all in the average impact of a doctor, right? Instead, we have to ask, what is the marginal value I personally would provide by becoming a doctor? And of course, as always, and this will often be the case in this podcast, This is a slippery slope argument if everyone in the world thought this way, but luckily we're only talking about our personal choices. And in making a personal choice yourself, you're just deciding for you, you know, by making that choice or applying that calculation, you're not impacting anyone outside of yourself as far as their decision-making strategy. So that slippery slope argument just is entirely invalid and you know really means nothing so you're only thinking for yourself so keep that in mind you know just to quickly understand why this other method doesn't quite apply let's consider an example so a small american town has the budget to employ 3 doctors and the hospital in town provides 3 categories of services So the first category is life-saving operations and treatments. The second is treatments for major health improvements that don't actually save a life, but significantly improve somebody's life. And the third is treatment of minor ailments like a cough or cold or sprained ankle and things like that. So the three doctors split their time evenly between the three types of services, each spending one third of their time on life-saving operations and treatments. And collectively, this hospital saves 300 lives per year through these life-saving operations and services. So we could say then that each doctor saves 100 lives per year, right? But when the budget decreases and the town can only afford two doctors, our first intuitive thought might be that 100 lives will be lost as a result, that 100 people will die next year or 100 additional people will die. But let's look at this realistically. When one doctor leaves, the other doctors will be forced to reprioritize their time. And in the end, likely the same amount of life-saving treatment and operations and the same amount of major health improvements will be achieved and completed anyway. But by necessity and due to time limitations and energy constraints, etc., the coughs and the colds and the ankle sprains may be either neglected completely, you know, they could be turned away because there's no doctor to treat, or it could be delegated to other staff, maybe a nursing staff, if they're available to, to see these patients. So the real difference that this additional doctor was making for the beneficiaries, you know, for the people of the town, was not life-saving, even though the doctor performed life-saving operations regularly. That wasn't the difference that they were making in this counterfactual future. It was instead the more I don't know, thorough treatment of coughs and colds and other minor ailments, right? And of course, this impacts coworkers and might make other doctors' lives a bit more stressful for sure. And I guess there's always the potential that the added stress will result in them messing up an operation and more people dying in that way. But it could also mean that I don't know, some doctors could thrive in these situations or be more effective in just doing life, uh, life-saving operations. So we can't really take that too much into consideration on average. That would have to be a case-by-case consideration, but that's beside the point. Most doctors who get into medicine, I think we can safely say if they get into medicine because they want to help people, you know, they're getting in to help the sick patients. They're not probably not getting in and they're not driven so much to go through however many years of medical school and however many hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to help lessen the stress level of some of their coworkers maybe but i'm assuming that's not the case so the patients impacted should rightfully be 99% of what you're considering you know though other considerations of course still exist and they're valid and The stress levels of coworkers are, of course, very important, but just, you know, to a very, very small consideration by comparison to those targets, you know, the patients that you're actually really, you know, care about. That's why you got into the field. Okay, so to counter this all and really see the difference, you know, a doctor makes, Greg calculated how many additional qualies would be added to the healthcare system if there were 880,001 doctors instead of 880,000. And his best estimate was that 160 qualies, which would equate to about four qualies per year, would be added by an additional doctor over that doctor's career. And so this means that an additional doctor, that 880,001st doctor, would save about four lives in their career which is a little less than our original estimate of 70 lives. But of course, this is still incredible, right? That's massive and hugely significant Four lives, right? Adding 160 years to people's lives. That is isn't still incredible. But it's just to say that it might be a little bit less than we thought. Yet we have to still keep in mind that Also, this calculation is assuming the doctors do all the life-saving. But of course, there are many people involved in this massive system playing their roles that probably make a good portion of that difference. But, (laughs) I guess one last complication to add. When considering whether or not to go to medical school, you know, in order to save lives because you want to go into a profession that helps people, we have to keep in mind that medical school is usually quite competitive and 50,000 people a year are applying to american medical schools but only 20,000 are enrolling each year and if you apply and get accepted what that means is that somebody else was denied so even going to you know medical school and becoming a doctor it does not really mean that you will be the 880,001st doctor it's a really hard number to say Uh, It just means that you are a doctor instead of that potential medical student at the lowest threshold of getting accepted, probably into the lowest quality medical school. Because let's say you go to a first tier medical school, you're accepted at Johns Hopkins. That means one less person gets in to Johns Hopkins. And We can probably safely assume that that person on the threshold of getting into a top-tier medical school would get into a second-tier school. And By getting into that school and accepting that spot, one less person gets into a second-tier school and goes to a third-tier school. One less person in the end doesn't get in. You get what I'm saying. Uh, But yeah, maybe that's going a little bit too far. We won't go into that too deep. But anyway, in the end, one additional doctor on average in America would in a very liberal estimate, lead to four additional lives being saved. 160 additional uh, additional years lived at 100% spread among some number of people. Of course, there are many types of medicine to go into and perhaps that will vary. And there is a lot more complication in all of this. You can choose to go into a particular type of medicine that does more or is more lacking but um, for the sake of this discussion, we won't talk about that. But yeah, again, this is just generalized, uh, probably oversimplified way of showing that the marginal difference we're making in certain careers and in certain ways of trying to do good, this can be much less than our intuitions would have us think. But it can also be much more than we think in other cases. So, Greg ended up feeling a bit unhappy with what he found. So, he decided to see what one additional doctor would contribute to somewhere else in the world where a shortage existed. Uh, You know, seeing that in America and the UK, there's an abundance of doctors. Elsewhere, there must be shortages. So, through his calculations, he he found that if he left, uplifted his life and moved to Ethiopia he he would actually there be able to multiply his impact by at least 75 times and would effectively be adding 300 additional additional quality added life years per year to the medical or medicine system the healthcare system in Ethiopia and in the end this would equate to about 300 lives saved over an average career by adding an additional doctor Ethiopia. So this is just, you know, a very strong reflection of how valuable it can be to invest yourself, invest your benevolence, invest your good intentions in neglected causes or causes where there is a high need to support ratio, right? And in the U.S., we, of course, have an abundance of doctors. While in Ethiopia, there is a huge shortage, So this principle of being able to realize increased impact within neglected, either neglected causes, neglected geographic areas, areas where there's high need and low support. This applies pretty much to any circumstance in life that could be improved. I mean, really, I think, I hope people are thinking this, but this should really seem like common sense, right? Of course, you know, where the need is large and the support is small, then some marginal additional support will go a long way. But it seems rare that we act in this way when it comes to doing good. Often we end up supporting the most popular causes, right? Probably because they are the ones that everyone's, you know, everyone hears about. We hear about most, and without thinking about this too critically, we're inclined to believe that because we're hearing about it and everybody's talking about it, this must mean that it's the biggest, most important issue. And again, without being too critical, we should think that we should support the biggest, most critical issue. But even if they are the biggest issues, the fact that everybody is talking about it, this likely means that the support would be, uh, you know, probably pretty high for this cause relative to others. And that if we're thinking about how we can invest our time as individuals, investing our time elsewhere would probably go, you know, much further to, to creating an impact. So we can also see here that this is a pretty good example of the law of diminishing returns. Now in any cause needing support, the first portion of support that that goes into this cause, it really goes a long way. Often because it's it hopefully picks at the low hanging fruit at the very beginning. And in a, any additional support thereafter has to reach a little bit higher, higher up the tree to pick the same fruit, if you know what I mean. So I, I guess in medicine, this would mean that the first doctor in a city of a million people would probably prioritize their time for the extreme cases that are very time efficient in saving lives. So we could say, theoretically, they're conducting, they'd limit themselves to conducting 20 different 30-minute life-saving operations per day while necessarily turning away everybody else. They turn away the 40-minute... life-saving operations because there's already an abundance of those 20-minute life-saving operations that are needed and if you can't fill that need then you're doing a disservice to the world by you know taking care of somebody that doesn't have a life-saving need and using your time in that way and you're doing a disservice by even doing a 45-minute operation but then we could say as additional doctors arrive the second doctor could you know start doing the 45-minute operations and the third doctor the hour-long operations and so on You know, and as time goes on, each additional doctor has to take on more complicated work or additional efforts to save the same amount of lives, in a way. And eventually, the 880,000th doctor is mostly making the difference by treating, you know, the smaller ailments, right? Anyway, (laughs) the purpose of this episode was just to show an example of how we can look critically into how we're doing good. I'm not sure how how to calculate this equation if an additional, you know, aid worker was added to the world, because this is where I worked. I would love to see this figure, but I'm really assuming it would be much less than most people would intuitively think, at least before listening to this episode. And at first thought, this may seem depressing, right? But I think it's entirely the opposite. And, and let me try to explain why. So when it comes to these these people we talked about at the very beginning, those careers that help people, that do good, I think we often idolize these people. We idolize the doctors and the social workers and the counselors and the teachers. And these people are doing a lot of good. And we envy them thinking they, they must possess some level of altruism and benevolence and selflessness that we just don't possess or that we chose not to act on. And we're just less capable of doing as much good in the world as these people are. Or we made choices in our life to do other things that didn't lead us down this path. So we're not going to, to accomplish as much. But this is just not true. Anyone living in a developed country with some level of education and a little motivation to do so. Anyone can do just as much good and often many, many times more if they choose to. You know, in actuality, statistically speaking, if you donate $14,000 to the Against Malaria Foundation, you'd save as many lives as the average American doctor saves in their entire career. So then, and like I said earlier, an independent organization called GiveWell.org analyzes the effectiveness of organizations. They estimate that $3,500 donated to the Against Malaria Foundation saves a life. And that's a very, 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 very rigorous analysis. So it's not simplified, I promise. So do dig into the website and have a look if you're interested and do check out the organization. But this means that, say, for example, you're not rich. You know, you say if you make $28,000 a year and you choose to donate 5% of your income for 10 years. In that 10 years, by just donating 5% of your income, you'd save as many lives as a doctor will save in their entire career. Isn't that empowering? Isn't that energizing? Doesn't that make you want to get out and do something knowing that you can? And this is just the very the, the simplest example of how empowered you are as a resource just by looking at financial resources. Now if you invest your time s- strategically and effectively in neglected causes that fewer people are focusing on where the law of diminishing returns hasn't really intensified so much yet, you will absolutely impact a great amount of good. And who knows how much that could be. You know, if you invest yourself wisely and you do the research and you find that area that you can accomplish a great deal through your marginal effort. So just keep this in mind and realize that if you're an average American or even an American living around the poverty level, you still have the potential to do many, many times as, as much good for the world as the average doctor does throughout your lifetime. You don't have to go to medical school and you don't have to choose to be a doctor for 40 years and you don't have to make billions or millions of dollars. You just have to choose to do the research of how and where you can invest yourself most effectively and you have to choose to take action accordingly. It really is that simple. Thank you so much for getting this far in the episode and hearing out these ideas. Uh, If you have any ideas of your own to share on this particular topic, you can definitely leave a comment on Facebook or via Twitter, at Impactivism. And if you liked this episode, please consider subscribing on iTunes, or you can find us also on SoundCloud and subscribe there. And if you really liked the episode... Uh, leaving a review on iTunes really goes a long way to give some visibility to the podcast and just to help in general spread the these ideas a little bit further. And if you've never left a review before, you can find uh, details on how to go about doing that on logansullivan.com, which also has all the links and uh, a page dedicated to the podcast with all the episodes posted as well. So I really, really appreciate your support in all of this. I'm looking forward to reading your messages and to having some conversations. And one more note, if you have any recommendations of guests that I could bring onto the podcast to interview and have a conversation, or if you're interested in uh, joining the podcast to have a conversation as well, definitely look me up on Facebook and send me a message, and uh, we can see what we can do. And a big thank you to Hana, the violinist, who has given me permission to use her beautiful, beautiful music throughout the podcast She is one of my very favorite musicians, so if you liked any of the music in this episode, definitely check her out. Uh, All of her details are in the show notes at LoganSullivan.com. So that's all. Uh, Thanks again, you awesome, awesome people, and I'll be back with much more every Monday and every Wednesday.